So glad to be able to speak to you today as we continue our relationship series called Breaking Bread. We're going to dive into a fairly well-known passage of John 17, but I want to read it with some fresh eyes because a lot of times when we read John 17, two things get focused on. The first is prayer. This is one of the only lengthy prayers we see of Jesus, so that's worth noting. It's worth studying for sure. The other is unity. Jesus is talking about the unity of his disciples in this in this passage, so a lot of times we hear a major focus on the unity of the church, since this is what Jesus is literally praying for. But today, I want to look at this in a way that's, that's hermeneutically accurate, but also with a specific lens and approach, because I think this angle is insanely important right now, because study after study after study have proven the radical significance of the marriage relationship and the positive potential effect it has on the people in that relationship and the people around it. And conversely, when that's not going well, it has catastrophic effects on the people in it and the people around it. This is one of those we need Jesus in the mix relationships. So if you'll stand one more time, this is just the way that we honor God's word and turn to John 17, verses 16 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen in just a second. We're gonna pick up halfway through Jesus's prayer here and read this passage through the lens of a husband and wife and the marriage relationship this morning. So I want you to listen to this passage with some new ears and with a fresh perspective. It says this, it says, they are not of this world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Father, speak through your word. Let your spirit be present. Cut our heart with your truth and let us turn and just do the things you're calling us to do. So Father, use me for your glory. Amen. You can have a seat. Like I said, John 17, it's about Jesus' disciples, the unity he wants to see. It's powerful. It's timeless. And while it does speak to the church at large, it also speaks by default to unity among believers in every context. So just like a camera can change the focus of the same object by shifting the lens, I want to look at this passage with a specific focus in mind that still lines up with the original authorial intent. Because outside of following Jesus, marriage, the person you are going to marry or have married, is, has the most destiny-changing potential of anything you will ever do for better or for worse. And this morning, I, w- I want to point to the better, all right? I want a vision cast for you about marriage in a way that if you're not married, you're not just going to check out because this is another marriage term that's not applicable. I want you leaving with new vision for your marriage. If you are married, I want to maybe shift the way that you are looking at marriage, potentially recalibrate the focus of your marriage to something bigger and greater than what might currently be. Because marriage is a big deal to me. Like, I've been married for almost 16 years in August. I have two not-so-little girls anymore. For those of you who've been around for a while, Alethea is 10 years old. I have a tween, like pray for me. Like this is just, I'm, I grew up with boys. I, I'm not sure what to do in this, this, this moment. So I receive your prayers. But marriage is a big deal. But most people look through marriage through a natural lens and not a supernatural lens. Because it's not about striving or trying harder because we wanna do this for Jesus' sake. That's not how Jesus operates. When you're functioning in your marriage the way God designed it, the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus will guide and sustain you. Now am I saying that marriage is easy? 
Everybody in the room who's been married say, oh no, <laughs> right? You're fusing yourself and entirely everything about your life with another human. That is a crazy transition. But does that mean that marriage has to be hard or bad or hurtful? No, it doesn't. Marriage is much harder than you think, but when Jesus is in the middle, it's much more rewarding than you ever would think. Because when Jesus is in the middle of something, it's different. Why? Because John 17, 16 says, they're not of this world even as I am not of this world. Everything changes in a marriage when Jesus takes center stage. So anybody, anybody a data person, you like to get data, you like to, you like to kind of figure stuff out before you do something? Anybody a researcher? Okay, like, okay, good. And I was gonna say, I'm the only nerd in the room. So thank you for being with me. So before I got married 16 years ago, I went and I found anybody who had been married for more than 20 years. And I said, all right, tell me your advice to this rookie husband-to-be. Got a lot of good advice, a lot of kind of one-liners, like a happy wife is a happy life. And you know, like things like hold the door open for your wife, things like that. But there's one guy who told me his advice that really did absolutely change the way I viewed marriage completely. I mean, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because when I asked him for advice, he simply said, marriage is not about your happiness. I was like, oh, come again? You know, is there anything more? He said, yeah, marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. And he gave me no explanation. So, you know, I did what we all do when somebody says something profound and you have no idea what they meant. I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, you nod your head like you know what they're talking about. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Amen. So, and, 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 and it was just one of those moments. I walked away from this conversation and this idea that marriage is not about my happiness but about my holiness continued to scramble my brain. I mean, what does that even mean? How, how does holiness play a part in marriage? I mean, how do I get sanctified by another person? Isn't that Jesus' job? I mean, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm praying, thinking through it. And then I started looking in the scriptures and I said, okay, this is starting to make sense, right? Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I started meditating on that. What, is, what does revere Christ even mean? And what it means is to be in awe of, to regard with deep admiration and respect, to worship. So my marriage is supposed to simultaneously draw from my relationship from God while at the same time getting me closer to him, helping me to revere him, helping to increase my worship of him. If you've been married for a while, you know marriage can test your faith, but, but increase your faith actually cause you to worship more, to make you more holy. So I tried to try, start breaking this down logically so I could kind of figure this out mentally and get a spiritual grip on it. And I was thinking, so if I submit myself to my wife and she's submitting to me out of reverence for Christ, and it's in turn drawing me closer to Jesus, that's gonna help me be more holy, right? So if I'm not feeling it in my marriage and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to love my wife in anyway, why? Because of my reverence for Christ, not because of how I'm feeling or not because of this is what I'm supposed to, it's just, okay, Jesus, if I'm to revere you, if I'm to praise and worship you, then part of my worship is going to be the way that I love and serve my wife. And that will help me become more holy. I'm starting to get this on the theoretical level, but then I thought to myself, what about the day-to-day just practical stuff? Because that sounds nice conceptually, right? So I was trying to think about this. I'll take the husband role. That's the one I know, obviously. So because it sounds nice conceptually speaking, but have you ever had one of those days where you're at work and every customer is out to get you? right? All of the contracts or the things that were, were a, a guarantee the day before all fall through. Or the patient that you're trying to serve, if you work in the medical field or anything like that, the 7,453 things that are wrong with them that day, apparently you're the root of, right? And it's just kind of one of those things where you just are done with your day and all you want to do is come home and kick your feet up on the couch and just chill, 
But when you open the door, you have a toddler that is screaming because they're hungry. There is a, your wife comes home from work. She's stressed out too. The ancient hair pasta is bubbling over on the oven. Your wife's not attending that because she's attending the blowout diaper of your little one. Where does holiness come into play here? Right? And I don't want you to miss this because we as Christians, we compartmentalize holiness to the times where we're just praying and reading our Bible, right? You can have the best time and in the morning you like read your word, you're praying, you're feeling it and you're just like, man, I could walk out of here and be like, bless you, yes, rise from the dead, amen. Be healed in Jesus' name, right? Like we, we feel super holy, we feel very connected to God but a lot of times what we do is we compartmentalize it and we leave that holiness in the secret place and we just go, okay. And then we go to work and we kind of leave it there and we don't assimilate that into the rest of our lives, but these chaotic moments with blowout diapers and angel hair pasta are the ones where you are playing the integral role in living life and reflecting Jesus, and at the same time, defining who you are as a spouse that is not of this world. Because the world says, man, take a break. You do you, girl, you deserve it. Or you worked hard, man, nobody had to deal with that. You did, just kick your feet up. You're the man of the house, you deserve it. But these are the types of daily scenarios where God is giving us the opportunity He's giving us the opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness and holiness. What would make you happy as a husband or a wife? Letting your spouse take care of the kids at the dinner because, hey, you had a rough week too and you made dinner last night. The least that they can do is take their turn, get the kids in order and do dinner like you did the night before, right? Nobody said right because they're in church. You're like, no, I know, I know that's not the right place to say that. <laughs> sure, it would make you happy, but what your spouse brings to your marriage and whether you're happy or not are not even the right questions to be asking. That's like asking how many touchdowns did the Red Sox pitcher throw in the Yankees game last night. The, the, the touchdowns have nothing to do with baseball. They're, they're not the right question. And likewise, in the context of marriage, if we're looking at a biblical marriage, you have to start by asking the right question. If we're truly not of the world, then the question of what the purpose of marriage is frames everything else. And if the question is off, everything else is off from the get-go. You can't have the right answer if you don't have the right question. So in those moments, the right question to be asking yourself in those situations is, what response is going to best embody Jesus to my spouse? And what can I do to give Jesus the most glory? So what can I do in that moment to embody Jesus to my spouse? And what can I do to give him the most glory? Because when God's glory is your goal, holiness will always manifest. So marriage, it's not about your happiness. It's ultimately about God's glory. And in a marriage, we're not to live for ourselves, but for someone else. And this is the hardest yet most important function of a marriage because this is how we most embody and reflect Jesus and his love for the church. Now listen, this is not a natural response. Can I get an amen on that one, right? We look out for number one first and foremost. Our happiness is our default if Jesus is not in the center of things. But when we look at this from a biblical vantage point, we realize that marriage is not about our happiness, but our holiness and ultimately God's glory. So we take our cues from Jesus and we love and we serve even when it's hard. We love and we serve even when we don't want to. We love and we serve because that's what's going to revere and honor Christ. So husbands, you love and you serve. Wives, you love and you serve. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because that's what the scripture says. Now this is very key actually for all the unmarried folks in the room. So how many of you are in here who are unmarried would like to get married at some point in your life? All right, that was a, that was a really fun social experiment. All right, because some of you are like, and some of you are like, 
right? Get his number after church, right? But I want to speak to those non-married folks because who have a desire to be married. Because the question to ask yourself right now is not how hot somebody is or how much fun we have together. Now, it's good to be attracted to your spouse. It's good to have compatibility. But the big question in your mind that you should be asking is how willingly are you to love and serve this person for the rest of your life? Because here's the deal. When you first fall in love, you think you're in love with that person, but you don't really, you don't really know. You love the idea of who you think that person is, but it takes years to truly know someone. All right, so for those of you who are in a current relationship but you're not married, if you're a disciple, you're gonna try hard to make things work while you're dating. But if it's hard while you're dating, it's not gonna magically get easier when you get married, right? So if you, have to, if you have to struggle to make things work with the, uh, while you're dating with the idea of the person that you think they are, then you might need to seriously consider if that's the right person or find someone who is better suited emotionally, relationally, and spiritually that you might be more compatible with. Or if you're, someone, if you're with someone who's controlling or manipulative while you're dating, get out of that toxic relationship now. You don't have to move forward, right? Find someone who is healthy and whole who's going to help your heart want to serve and love Christ more. Because you want to find that person who makes you want to love Christ simply because of their proximity and their presence and in turn sparks your desire in your heart to serve them, right? You want someone who you can say, as Tim Keller says, I see your flaws, your imperfections, your weaknesses, and your dependencies, but underneath them all, I see growing the person that God wants you to be. Because marriage is becoming more than who you currently are with the help of the person that God sends you to do that. But to allow this process to work, you need to surrender yourself first to the Lord, like Pastor Mike was saying earlier, and then to someone else, which is hard and scary and intimate. And I I hate that I have to do this, but I feel like I have to take a caveat right now because there are people here that are gonna take the biblical vision of marriage and twist it and use it for their own gain. So if you're in a marriage where you feel like there has been manipulation of the scriptures to subjugate you, please seek professional help. Just be safe, be safe with that, all right? If someone tries to twist my words or say something using words like gospel or submission to force you into doing something that you don't want to do, seek professional help, talk to your microchurch leader, remove yourself from that situation. But if not, I wanna cast a high vision for marriage where we are really being light to those around us by loving and fiercely, deeply pledging ourselves to the one that we call our own, right? Because the purpose of marriage is to reflect the glorious reality of Jesus and how he loves and cares for his church. So how do we become that type of man or woman that is confident enough to serve and surrender, whether we're married or not, that makes someone want to just love Jesus more by being around us? This is where verse 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Because here's the deal. You will not be godly without God. I mean, if our call is to be like Jesus who is not of this world, then we need Jesus leading us on that path of sanctification. We need the Spirit of God filling us daily to ensure that we're living out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit instead of simply trying harder to make our marriages work. We need to train ourselves in the ways of the Lord so that it comes supernaturally natural for us to respond like Christ in situations where we normally would not. Does this make sense? You can't replicate what you don't know, and you can't reflect light if you don't know how to find the source. So here at Greenhouse, if you've been around for a while, I mean, you just know we have a high priority on seeking God, spending time with him on a daily basis, you know, 
Second uh, Corinthians, or sorry, Second Chronicles twenty six five says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Because when we seek his face, it transforms us. And when the transformed me is much better than the unregenerate Matt. So we want to have that be a part of our daily life, becoming more like Jesus every single day. And that's gonna help you. That's absolutely gonna help your marriage, okay? So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. First, 2 Corinthians three eighteen says, but we with all unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Church, the only way to have a supernaturally natural marriage is by being with and reflecting Jesus. That point's not novel, it's not sexy, but it's true, okay? We all, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. All right, so, so we're supposed to be like mirrors. In a perfect scenario, the husband and the wife are not in marriage pursuing their own happiness, but the primary reason for their marriage, the ultimate desire is to reflect God's glory as in a mirror for their marriage and their spouse. But what happens if you're not seeking God? If you're not taking time to be transformed into his image? It's gonna be pretty hard to reflect anything of him if you're not looking for anything to reflect. You're going to be forced to shoulder the load yourself and pull out of your own reservoirs. The problem is that your natural reservoirs of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control are highly limited and will run out extremely quickly. But when you seek the light of Christ, things start to come into focus and there's something supernatural to reflect. It functions as the guiding light. And this is the light that never runs dry. The well that never runs dry. This is the light that never goes out. This is the source of all of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you're trying to find elsewhere. We need the light. We need the source so that we can reflect that on a daily basis and be the ones who are showing that to our spouse and our children and the people around us and everywhere we go. Because here's the deal. When all the other distractions of the world come back into view, it gets harder for your ability to reflect him and only him because of so many other demanding things surrounding you. This is why in the Gospels we see Jesus getting up early to pray. We see him walking away from the disciples, going up on mountaintops, going into all these other places to find that supernatural connection with his father so he can truly say, I only do what I hear my father do. I only do what I see my father doing. If Jesus needs this, we need to take some cues from Jesus because the only way to have a supernatural, supernaturally natural marriage is by being with and reflecting Jesus. And this might mean as a couple you rearrange your schedule to make this happen. I mean, Tracy and I literally had a conversation this week about how to do better at creating spiritual margin for each other. Because if you're around the Ulrich family, you know we like to run hard. We like to have a lot of stuff going on. We have like 16 plates that we're trying to spin all at once. And sometimes all of the good things that we're doing get in the way of the most important things that we need to be doing. And we need to recalibrate our rhythm and our schedules and our time to ensure that we're having that spiritual margin to truly reflect Jesus in what we do. Not just do good things for him, but reflect his glory by being with him. So a lot of times, like we're trying to do things like we, we, we give each other a half a day, a month, where you just get to go do whatever you want. 
read, pray, sleep. You've just got a guilt-free, I don't have, I'm not a bad mother, I'm not a bad dad, I don't, I'm not gonna worry about my, my work. I'm just gonna go be with Jesus for a half a day, just in the calendar. You know, we're trying to get Tracy to come to more worship meetings on, on Wednesday, so we're trying to, she loves to just worship, she loves to worship, she loves to pray. That's the way she connects with God, so we're trying to make that happen more. We try to do that on a daily basis as well. Are we perfect? Not even close, obviously. I just told you, we had to talk, had this conversation this week about how we're not doing that super well, but we're constantly working to form a better path where we have space and margin to reflect God's glory to one another. Because listen, I'm just not the man I need to be by myself. I'm not the man I need to be without Jesus. I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sometimes. I'm like, man, I just chase like, go seek the Lord. <laughs> just go seek the Lord, man. We have to have time to do this in order for it to happen. And so in marriage, the best thing you can do is mirror that glory of the Lord. And here's the deal, the, the mirror's not doing much of the work, it's simply posturing itself to reflect the light. So let seeking God permeate everything you do, your words, your actions, your thoughts, how you are viewing your spouse. And a good question to ask yourself is, man, how am I doing this? Where is my time to reflect God's glory in my daily pursuit? Look at it like, daily, weekly, monthly, annually? Like, how are the ways that we're posturing ourselves as a family to be able to truly be sanctified by his truth and then represent that and reflect that to those around us? Obviously, this will be a benefit for you. It'll be a benefit for your spouse. But this is where I wanna cast vision uh, that's greater than just having a good marriage for your spouse's sake. And yes, that's optimal. I'm not saying I don't want great marriages. Obviously, I want thriving marriages here in Greenhouse. But when a marriage is Christ-centered and thriving, it will affect way more than just the two people who are married. I think so often we, we have, feel like we've arrived when our marriage is healthy, but we forget about the missional beauty, the power and the evangelistic light that marriage has when it's supernaturally natural and that a husband and wife are relating to one another as Christ of the church. Because John 17, 18 through 21 says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in, their believe in me through their message, that all of them might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this unity should lead to gospel proclamation. All right, so when we're married, there's an intimate union that's represented by this Hebrew word echad, which literally means becoming one flesh, okay? So in marriage, it's a graphic kind of weighty word that basically means when you put it together with the word flesh, fused together at the deepest level. So there's this bonding of two people into one entity, body and soul, physical and spiritual, because there's no way to bifurcate or separate these two. This is expressed in sexuality in a marriage, but it's also expressed by the merging of quite literally Two people coming together. So if there's ever a place where the unity that Jesus is talking about in John 17 should be happening, it's between two believers, two married believers. This should be the ultimate representation of the holy union and unity. But notice what Jesus says here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message. So in the same way that Jesus prays for the unity of his believers, it's not for unity's sake, it's not for the disciples' sake, it's for everyone around them that gets to see this supernatural unity that's taking place amongst the believers, in this case, in kind of marriage through a husband and wife, that this unity is represented and shown because it just looks different than anything else they've seen. So if you have a healthy marriage, Pour into some young couples and singles because marriage is meant to be modeled. 
Okay, so invite college students into your home. Let, be the mom and dad that they might not have ever had. Or, or maybe just be a safe place for them to go while they're at the University of Florida or at Santa Fe College because we need modeling. We need role models. We need couples who are willing to put God on display for his glory through their marriage. We need the next generation seeing with their own eyes and experiencing with their own lives the supernaturally natural marriages that reveal the unity and love of Jesus that he's praying for in John 17. So if you're an empty nester and you're not currently plugged in, mobilize yourself. If you're like, I don't know what that looks like, I don't know what to do, find me after, email me after. I will teach you how to disciple college students and young couples. We need you pouring out and revealing the beauty and the love that is found in a healthy marriage so others can follow suit. We need you now more than ever. Marriages are meant to be modeled. Discipleship can be taught, but it's also caught. And we need those moments to have a place to happen. And this happened in my life. Maybe that's why I'm so passionate about it, okay? So I grew up in a broken home. My parents got divorced when I was 11 years old, and, and I just didn't see what this actually looked like, right? Now, my mom, she, she, she was fierce in her commitment to her three sons, so I want to give honor where honor is due. My mother loved us well and raised us up right. But I just didn't get to see what marriage looked like. So when I got saved when I was 17, I started hearing about marriage, I started reading about it, I started learning about it, but then I had a chance to see it with my own eyes and it really started to click. So I went to seminary in Fuller, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, 2005. So this is back in, back in the day, even then like on-campus housing was like 400 square feet and it was 14, $1,500. I'm like, man, I'm trying to get through seminary without just racking up a massive debt. So I was like, maybe I just can't go out there. One of my friends, she was also going out to Fuller and she's like, man, get this, I am staying free with my youth pastor who's going to Fuller as well. I was like, girl, has he got another room? Like, you know how you say stuff like kind of joking, but not really, and make it, I just threw it out there. And she was like, I don't know, I'll ask. I was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and so she asked, and he said, he's like, well, we don't have another room, but tell him if he wants to stay in the garage, he can. I was like, I will stay in the garage. And I did, man, I got creative. I had like a shower curtain, and I hooked it up, and that was my closet. I had an air mattress. I mean, I made it work because, hey, listen, $1,400 is $1,400. So Tommy and Patty, the family I moved in with, they had four girls at the time, ages six through 15. And this was my first like intimate viewing of what a functioning Christian home looked like. And so I got to see Tommy loving on his daughters when they were loving Jesus and when they were throwing temper tantrums. I got to see Tommy and Patty uh, just love each other well. I also got a few glimpses of Christian fights. I was like, I just, I didn't grow up in the church. So I was like, what does that look like? How do Christians fight? So, and it's not like they were like, ooh, Matt, things are getting a little heated. Why don't you sit down and we'll take some notes and we'll talk about this afterwards. Like, that's not how fights go, right? So, like, one morning I'm getting my cereal and I could tell, you know, you know how you just walk in the room and you're like, ooh, this is tense. So, I just kind of get my, my, my breakfast. I pretend to go back to my room and I just kind of, like, post it up and just, like, listened. You know, like Michael Pop Jackson popcorn gif. I was like, oh, my God. What's so, I, I did. I just, I just kind of, like, was creeping on them, listening to them. But it was so helpful it was so helpful. It was very fascinating to me, to, but it was also super helpful for me to see this with my own eyes, to see a beautiful depiction of Christ loving his church modeled for me. I saw in real time how to handle conflict, how to love your daughters, which has served me very well because I grew up with boys, how to honor your spouse on a regular basis. It cemented a paradigm in my heart and in my mind that wasn't there before. 
All because this couple just let me in on their life. They let me see what it looked like for good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. I was there with it. I was experiencing that for the first time, which is why Tracy and I, I remember we got married. I said, baby, when we have our first house, we were inviting people to live with us because that was so deeply impactful for me. So over the last 10, 12 years, we've had dozens of people stay with us for, from a few days to a few years. We've had a, a two or three people who have been with us for over two years at a time because we just want to say like, hey, listen, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together, but man, let's just let Jesus do his thing because there are mats out there who don't know what marriage looks like and we need that imprint. We need the blueprint of what that means so that we can replicate and model that ourselves. Now listen, am I calling everybody to open up their home and let somebody live in your house? Like, if you wanna say yes, that's great, but you are not failing if that's a hard no either. What I'm saying is we need to steward our marriages and look beyond ourselves and model it and be missional, to shine the light of Jesus and embody the unity that people are longing to see in the marriages that we have. Why? Because there's a complete eroding of all unity in our world today. It's infecting everything. There's never been a more siloed time, at least since I've been alive. I mean, people have figured out it's just more lucrative to disagree and to fight with people, so that's becoming the norm. And this isn't just politics, race, and COVID, right? For example, does anybody remember watching ESPN when SportsCenter actually showed like highlight reels? Right, I mean, you watch sports now, you watch ESPN now, you have to watch 45 minutes of two guys arguing on PTI before you actually get to see anything when it comes to sports. I mean, it's permeating everything that we do. Everything in our culture is just pitting people against one another. So this new generation has no idea what unity looks like. There's just division and turf wars around ideologies and causes. And there's no way that that's not affecting their view of marriage. Right? There's no way that's not affecting their view of unity because what we're being taught is find your echo chamber, sit in it for a minute, solidify your pre-existing view, and then go argue with people about it. So what happens when you get married and somebody doesn't agree with how you do things? It's a disaster, right? We need some stable, unified marriages reflecting the covenantal love of Christ for anyone who wants to watch it. But here's the deal. This, this passage is not just talking about Christians raising up other Christians. John 17, 22, 23 says, I've given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The unity of a marriage has the potential to be such a powerful evangelistic tool. I want our marriages to be beacons of the gospel because marriages are meant to be modeled, yes, but they're also meant to be missional. So full of Jesus' love that anyone who looks at the radical way that we sacrifice for one another, the way that we show grace and forgiveness to one another in spite of our shortcomings, the way that we fiercely love each other despite of the fact that we just mess up time and time again, if onlookers looked and said, this is how Jesus loves you, because this is one of my personal like visions for my marriage is that if my two daughters were raised and they didn't ever go to church, they heard nothing about Jesus, they were a blank slate and someone walked up to them and said, girls, Jesus loves you the way your daddy loves your mama. Do you wanna follow him? That they would run to that altar and say, yes. If that's the way Jesus loves me, then I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna serve him with my whole heart, soul, and mind because the fierce love of Christ was accurately represented and embodied in the marriage that they grew up watching. 
You know, so often we focus our marriage and we think about the two of us, and rightfully so sometimes, I get that. But I wanna get to the point where vision goes beyond just ourselves and moves into gospel vision casting for all to see. I want a church full of marriages where people lean in and they start asking questions. They're like, how did you get your marriage to be like this? You've been married a long time. What, what happened? Why do you treat each other so well? Why do you love in this way? Why do you live your life posturing yourself to serve and love your spouse so much? Let your marriage cause questioning. I want people to lean in to my marriage and to your marriage and say, what meaneth this, right? People that see like, I don't understand what's going on here. And then we can ask or we can respond to all of their questions with the answer, man, it's because Jesus is in the middle of it. Because here's the deal, friends. Marriage is not about you. (laughs) It's not about your happiness. It's not even about your holiness. Ultimately, marriage is about God's glory as you represent the scandalous grace that is poured out through Christ and the love that subsumes all who come to him by the way you love your spouse even when they're undeserving, even when they're wrong, even when they don't get it. Like we just serve and love, again, not in an unhealthy, harmful way to yourself, but we serve and love in a way that just shows and exemplifies Christ. Your marriage is not what you get out of it. Your marriage is about living in a way that honors the Lord with the sacrifice and the deep affection for one another that points to the ultimate sacrifice and deep affection for Christ and his bride. But here's the catch, y'all. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't pull this off by ourselves, which is why we need that full surrender to the only one who can provide you everything you need for a healthy and whole marriage. Your effort and your striving will leave you deeply frustrated as you fall short if you're trying to toe the line of a healthy marriage without Jesus. So if you're married this morning, I'm calling you to press in to Jesus, the only one who can give you what you need to become the man or woman that's going to reflect the reality of Christ in his church. You can't have a supernatural marriage without being and reflecting Jesus. You can't be unified without the great unifier. You can't truly love unless Jesus is giving you his unconditional love, and that's the wellspring that you're pulling from. You can't find joy unless the joy of the Lord is your strength to get through those hard and trying times. Otherwise, you will give up. You will have only artificial peace in your home. And that's only if everything is going good unless Jesus is giving you the constant grace and peace to overlook the shortcomings of your spouse on a daily basis. Your patience will be determined by your mood and not your savior unless Jesus is the one that you are seeking and refreshing yourself daily in. Kindness and goodness overflows when Jesus is your treasure. But kindness is only doled out for your own purposes when he's not. Gentleness and meekness are embodied by Christ. And when we dwell with him, when we abide with him, when we surrender to him, meekness in both men and women gets put on display. But when we don't, what happens is meekness gets crushed by our own insecurities and our desire to control situations for our selfish gain. Because we're too scared to let control because we're not sure what happened. We need to let surrender the Lord. When we're full of the Spirit, we let, when we're full of the Spirit, we can hold our tongue and we can have self-control. But when we're in the flesh, we just let it rip and we do anything we can to jockey for a better position to win the argument without regard for the relationship. And listen, I can go on and on about marriage and what is and what is not with Jesus and without but it's not about what you expect your spouse to do. It's about inviting Jesus into the relationship between two people and letting the world watch a real life depiction of Christ beautifully loving his church and his bride. The gospel potential of a marriage when it's working right is breathtaking. 
You might be like, Matt, I'm just not there, bro. We are not there. And that's okay. Because Jesus isn't calling perfect people. Jesus isn't looking for perfect marriages that don't need his help. He's looking for people, two people, who are willingly surrendering themselves to his lordship. He's looking for God's seekers who are willing to make him their treasure, their prized possession. And in the pursuit of his presence, we begin to overflow with the grace and the mercy with the person we covenanted to love in the same way that Christ loves us. So no, you don't have to have it all together. The good news is you just have to know that you don't have it all together and invite Jesus into your crazy and allow him to start calling those relational shots. You know, this is where microchurches come into play. Be with people who are gonna help you along this path that can be sounding boards, that can pray for you, that can pick you up when you guys fall, can spur you on towards love and good deeds in your marriage.